for sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. I'm Jay. Hey, Jay. What have you been up to lately? Uh, gazing into the abyss, examining is, is the my abyss, moral... Is the abyss gazing back at you? Oh, oh so hard. I've, I've heard that happens. So hard. Yeah, I've heard that happens at yeah. some point. I, I honestly wish... I honestly wish someone famous had said that, so that I would that I would have known um, that the that the abyss does gaze back. So, but you know, I, you learn, I, I would you say, you... yeah, I would say I I, I Nietzsche uh, what you did there. <laughs> that that is probably one of the worst strained puns I will ever do. So Ooh. good for me. Congratulations to myself. Good. Only took us what sixty five episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have hit bottom in terms of off awful puns, and there's nowhere to go but up. There's nowhere to go but up. Yeah. Um, no, other other than the, the abyss gazing back into my torrid soul, um, I have actually been doing something uh, that is allowing uh, uh, income to continue uh, for m- my my family, and uh, it's been the uh, it, with the absence of live sports. Um, I guess this is this is the one part where sports, even though it's not happening live, it's if we're thinking like in a Dr. Manhattan sense, sports will always be happening and never be happening um, because there's so many games that have been committed to videotape and digital record that in the absence of live sports, sports lives on. So, yes. um, you know, I, I apologize for <laughs> getting so deep there, but um, the uh, uh, Activity that has been uh, occupying my time has been uh, covering uh, what our uh, network has affectionately called uh, basically jewel games. I mean, they're called sports classics, but I guess like the technical term is jewel games. So in any team's history, any pivotal game or series, pretty much chalk it up as a jewel game. So uh, what Fox Sports has been doing is airing the first games of the Stanley Cup final from 1997. So I guess what we're doing is we're spreading the scheduling out such that we're getting all of the preamble uh, playoff games out of the way, and then it's all leading up to a championship week. So there's going to be, I think it's like the first week of May, it's just going to be every time the teams have won a a championship. So uh, we recently did the 1968 uh, Game 7 World Series game with the Tigers winning. Uh, in honor of Al Kaline passing, so that was pretty cool. Um, and and tonight we're actually doing the first uh, uh, Pistons game from 2004 against the Lakers. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. But obviously this is a hockey <laughs> podcast, so I wanted to talk about the games that have already happened pertaining to the uh, subject matter that this uh, web this uh, web podcast always attacks, which is uh, hockey and. Uh, so far, we've broadcasted two uh, the first two games of the 97 Cup Final against the Flyers. Um, sadly, they did not keep the commercials <laughs> in, which is really disappointing. I really would have liked these broadcasts to be actually uh, period-specific. Um, 
commercials for America Line, the new Dodge, you know, everything that you've, you've immediately yeah. and, grace, and, and gratefully Mikey forgotten likes about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, every, what is I think, uh, you know, Titanic Ooh. was that year. So it, it, was, it was a time capsule thing. But, you know, as I'm sure that, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this a little bit before, but it is always refreshing to kind of talk about it where, um, when you watch these old games, especially from the last, you know, 20 years and see the evolution of the yeah. game, um, holy hell, <laughs> I can't believe how many times while watching these classic jewel games, I'm like, oh, that's a penalty. Yeah. It's not. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. He's going to the box for that. He's not. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember um, I was listening to the... Uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, I blanked on the, the name of it for a second. The uh, Wings for Breakfast podcast uh, with uh, our good friends uh, Prashant Thayer and Max Boltman from The Athletic. And they were talking about, I think it was, you know, I think The Athletic was doing something on the 2009 uh, Stanley Cup final, which I know a lot of Red Wings fans, uh, you know, you know, don't remember at all like you know it, it never happened uh for some reason hockey went from 2008 to 2010 their um, own mandela but that's, that's yeah it, it was so funny because max max had never seen it before um and, you know oh, oh I, I know what it was i'm sorry they were talking about the uh the fight night fight night of the joe yeah. the colorado uh fight night game and Max had not seen it, uh, like seen the whole game. Like he had seen, you know, obviously the, you know, the parts that everybody watches. And, you know, he watched the whole game for the first time, and he was like just blown away at how bad having a, the two line pass rule was. Um, so yeah, it, it's so weird watching these old games. And I know um, I have it somewhere. I, I I'd have to dig into. I I have one of those like oh, yeah. ottomans where it's also storage. So if you take off the top, then you have like you know a whole bunch of storage space inside, and it's pretty big. It's probably like four foot square, maybe. Um, you know, four foot by four foot, roughly. And somewhere buried yeah. buried in there are my DVDs. Uh, because who watches DVDs anymore? And one of the ones I have is from back when I was an Islanders fan, and it was a ten uh a ten game like disc set of like you know the best games in islander history as voted by the fans so of course you have you know the 1980 you know uh last game of the stanley cup finals uh you know you have a lot of stanley cup games like that but it was so interesting to watch like the 1993 game seven against the penguins uh because again it's the same thing it's just it's like hockey is so different it's like so different now um and I mean, in a way, I think a lot of the new stuff is better in terms of highlighting yes. the skill. Uh, but at the same time, like there is and this is probably just because we are like a product of those times. You know, this is what we grew up watching. And I know when we talked to, uh, you know, Dan Carcillo, this is something that I brought up. Uh, you know, when yeah. I watch like a line brawl or when I watch something like that, there's like a part of me that is just like, oh, yes. You know, but then. You know, the the rational part of me now, I know the potential damage that can come out of that. I still have that part of me that's like, ah, you know? And it's really interesting watching those old games with that new mindset, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of things that are just, like, mind-blowingly ridiculous. I think I remember – so watching – I forget if it was game one or game two, but – Watching these games, there there was so 
uh, so the first game was on Fox. So the so game one had Fox tracks. So it was really cool to see an entire game using the Fox tracks. Um, and and there was uh, just a phenomenal amount of um, <laughs> like I'm watching and I'm like. To be honest, I kind of liked it, which was really strange because in contrast, we were also having Larry Murphy live tweet from our account, and he was like, oh, I hate that thing. I'm so glad they don't do it anymore. And, like, as the account, I wanted to be like, the views and descriptions of Larry Murphy do not reflect the parent company and other people because we actually – this this guy kind of actually likes it. (laughs) But, um, yeah, there was was just a lot of um, these, like, really – quirky moments that just like happened and i was like whoa wow that's interesting chief among them i pretty much saw chris draper um what's what, how do i best describe this do you remember in Slapshot when i think it's the it's not ogie oglethorpe but it's when one of the it's the uh hack it's the guy that uses the stick basically like an axe i forget i forget the players yeah name. i haven't seen it in yeah, so long yeah, but, like i've seen it a bunch of times but not not in a long yeah, time yeah like like the hacksman or something but basically just like you know hey he'll start a fight but then he uses the his stick like a flyer was skating up ice had possession and i saw chris draper like kind of turn his stick upside down with so like the blade of the stick was pointing downward and i saw him and it looked like he was like trying to carve the player up like a turkey you know it's just <laughs> like just like, so basically, basically young blood. Yeah, yeah. It was just like this, like really, like like if I try to think of like a Benny Hanish, just like kind of slicing through the giant pile <laughs> of meat. Like that's what it looked like. And I was like, mm. and you're, and I was like, oh, he's got to be called for that. Nope, nope. Welcome to 1997. Stuff like that doesn't, uh, stuff like that doesn't happen. Uh, I, I guess in the eyes of the of the refs. So, yeah, it was it was fun stuff. So overall, all the experience is fun. Um, as we know, because the, the Red Wings swept, the rest of the games are on ESPN, so we get to hear the glorious calls of Gary Thorne and Bill Clement. Um, but, you know, the marketing material stuff is top-notch. You know, there are these, like, like basically Derek Zoolander before Derek Zoolander gladiator <laughs> shots that are just majestic as hell. Um, so, yeah, I, and I recommend the, everybody rewatches them, you know, those who have access. Um, you know, granted, most of these games are still available on, like, YouTube and stuff, but you know, as far as like having them broadcast, you know, put on your TV instead of on your phone or your computer and stuff, it's it is pretty fun. It, and and even though you know the outcome, I still think there's tremendous value, uh, especially with watching the last game at Tiger Stadium the other night. You know, I I I know that we win the game, but mm-hmm. because Todd Jones was one of the most erratic <laughs> closers in the history of baseball, I'm like, okay. I hope he doesn't blow something here, but it's like, wait, he, he doesn't. But then my heart's like, what, what if he does? What, what if, what if everything bad is happening? And, and it does. And then, you know, you look at the box scores of these hockey games and you're like, yep, that's the last goal of the game. So everything's fine. But then you're watching and I'm like, oh man, they could score here. And then you're like, oh wait, they don't. (laughs) So, you know, hopefully there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but, but yeah, so, uh, that's that's that that's been the joy. Um, yeah. And and Pete, I think I think we've gone. Yeah. I think we've beaten around the bush enough. You act. <laughs> we actually have a fantastic rest of this episode that we need to get to, uh, because the, as we know, with the suspension of these sports, the draft, 
is obviously a lightning rod topic. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, give us a teeny intro, and then sh- should we take a break? Is that yeah. is that how we do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think like the breaks are going to be a little bit unevenly dispersed in this episode, but I don't think that's a problem. Um, so uh, basically, Jay wasn't able to join us for the interview section where uh, I talked to uh, you know returning champions Dylan Galloway from Future Considerations, which is a an excellent draft. Uh, uh, you know, an excellent draft uh, site and uh, Will from the website Scouching, uh, who is uh, starting to get uh, a lot more notice in the in the broader uh, NHL community, which is fantastic. Um, so we talked to uh, or I talked to them um, for honestly, probably about an hour, uh, you know, maybe a little bit less once I edited it down, but, you know, pretty much an hour. Um, and we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about. Um, you know, your standard, you know, Lafreniere and Byfield, et cetera, you know, who, uh, you know, who Detroit uh, could be looking at at four if they fall to that, which is the, you know, most statistically likely outcome. Um, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about, um, uh, you know, I, I tried to kind of open it up so they had a chance to ask questions, you know, to each other, to me as well. Um, to be honest, I kind of did, you know, just kind of with the natural flow like I did kind of be a host kind of more than than I had hoped uh but it it it, it was really good I really think that anybody who's interested in the draft is going to get a lot of good information um so we are going to uh go to a break when we come back you will be hearing uh me talking to Dylan and Will uh and then after that uh Jay and I will come back and we're going to talk about uh what we're doing what we're up to uh you know non-hockey related stuff that we are up to to keep us busy during these times um and so we'll see you then So for our uh, interview segment today, and actually it's going to be the majority of the the episode, um, unfortunately Jay uh, can't join us for this. Uh, I'm sure we probably talked about it in the intro that we're going to record after, but uh, we are bending time here. Uh, we are very lucky today to have uh, rejoining us from, from last year uh, two guests who are very knowledgeable about prospects uh, because even though that the season is in question the playoffs are in question one thing that is not in question is at some point they are going to have an entry draft and these prospects are going to be drafted by the, you know by teams and so we wanted to do a draft episode uh, i imagine we'll probably we'll probably do another one once we know like when the draft's going to be a lot closer to it um so joining us today uh, i'll just introduce you separately for people listening so you can hear the different voices uh from the website uh future considerations we have dylan galloway how you doing bud good thank you how are you i am i'm doing good uh in uh in pandemic adjusted terms uh, <laughs> uh you know everything has to be relative now i think uh and yep, all- i think Totally agree. Also joining us from the website Scouching is uh, is Will. How are you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to start off real quick uh, with a little a little congratulations, a little shout out. Um, I don't know when this article posted. Let's see. Oh, five hours ago. So actually, you might not know about this. I, I guess you probably do. Um, Will, did you know that you are mentioned? 
in the <laughs> athletic article, 50 hockey Twitter accounts to follow right now. I, I'm, I'm getting flummoxed. Oh, yeah. I, I saw I saw a bump, like a very small bump in, in attention this morning when I woke up and was having coffee and I didn't know what was happening. And then <laughs> someone flagged it for me and I went, okay, this is weird. Uh, so, yeah, noticed that. There's a lot of really good accounts in there that aren't me. So if you have an athletic yeah. subscription, definitely go through them because uh, those three guys did their did their homework, I think. Yeah, you are. Um, I, I it's I, it's obviously not ranked, uh, but you are you are listed uh, right after uh, also good friend of the pod, uh, Shana Goldman. Uh, yes, Shana's fantastic. Uh, she we is. are we are pretty good friends. Uh, we we love to uh, share photos and, and text with her about our dogs. Oh yes, <laughs> of course. And then right after you is the Sydney Crosby parody account. Um, That's a not not a bad place to be sandwiched. I'm okay yeah. with that. Cool with that. I will say I was very happy with this because most of the time when I read a list like this, there's a pretty high percentage of "Are you kidding me?" Uh, you know, when I get to a certain point, and this was very, very low in that. Um, most of these, I, uh, the, almost all of them, I was like, "Oh yeah, that that one's good." And some of them I just I'm not really familiar with. Um, but no, it's great. I uh, I really enjoyed seeing that. Um, so congratulations, friend. That is that Thank is awesome. Thank you very much. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, Surprise. <laughs> Yeah, so I wanted to start off, and I was I was talking to Dylan and Will before this. Um, one of the things I was thinking is because you know we have guests that are so much more knowledgeable in this area than I am. Um, I thought it would be kind of a good format to uh, eschew the 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 generic like I just ask a bunch of questions, they answer the questions, uh, and kind of do more of a discussion where it's a little bit more free flowing. I think that'll be fun. Um, but I just wanted to start off before we get to some draft stuff. I wanted to start off with um, uh, a, a a little conversation about a conference that we all attended. Um, Jay attended it too, but unfortunately, like I said, he 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 isn't able to join us uh, for this this section. Um, but yeah, we all, we all got to see each other in person, which was fantastic. Um, and, uh, I am talking about the Columbus, uh, analytics conference. That was a lot of fun. Um, so I think if I'm not mistaken for both of you, is that your first time going to one of these conferences? Yes, it was for me. Uh, I've been to the, uh, Ottawa hockey analytics conference a couple of times, okay. um, but yeah, this was my first like flying out there and heading down to Columbus. So yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess, I guess I'll just start with this. Like, 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 like what were your favorite parts of it? You know, like, like what, what were one or two things or a couple of things that stood out for you that you thought, oh, this is, you know, this is a really cool experience. This is really worth, you know, I'm, I'm really glad I went. Well, for me, I mean, the biggest thing that's really stuck out, it's been a couple of months, I think, since mm -hmm. this happened. So for me, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was, uh, Allison's talk about communication and it was, it was, it wasn't extremely mm -hmm. hockey oriented, but it was very communicate like communication oriented mm -hmm. where it was like how to communicate with your readers and you know she kind of went against the grain by saying you know yeah you're going to get trolls but it is really important to read the comments and and understand what the feedback is on your work and and that's something that i think definitely has stuck out for me because i know that i can sometimes be a bit long-winded or take they take a long time to answer something and you know keep and that can mis you know miscommunicate things that people can see one thing but take it out of context easily or whatever so learning how to better manage that and just be more you know to the point and actually listen when people give you some sort of feedback whether it's positive or, or negative and understand you know try to understand from their perspective more that at the end of the day you still 
have a, a bit of a shortcoming communicating mm -hmm. and especially cause I do video work like that, you know, where I actually have to say words on camera, <laughs> you know, that, that, that means that you really got to know what is coming out of your mouth mm -hmm. or writing what you're writing on paper mm -hmm. and making sure that you're communicating it effectively. And, and that, that's what's to me, that's what stuck out. I mean, the hockey talks were great, yeah, but just that specific thing in terms of the back of my mind, always filed away. That's, that's always been there. Yeah, that's for hundred um, percent. That's one of the things that really stood out for me as well. Um, the other talk that really stood out, um, I'm forgetting her name, but uh, there was a talk about which league is best. Mm -hmm. and it was ranked, um, and uh, she went through um, like basically seeing how effective each league was at predicting, um, you know, uh, future um, NHL players and, mm -hmm. and ranking which league was actually best and it ended up being that the nhl was the, the quote-unquote best mm -hmm. league um but then ranking all of the other leagues in terms of uh the quality um of player and and all of that kind of stuff and and that was a fascinating one um the ohl ranked fairly high which is uh not not a surprise to me the khl um and then there was a few other ones um i, I feel like the qmjhl ranked higher than, than i thought it would um, yeah and uh, yeah, so that was that was an interesting talk, and I, and a lot of, for a lot of these things too, it's not necessarily for me the the talks because um, in terms of analytical uh, the analytical side of things, um, that's not my strong suit. Um, I'm I'm more of the the eye test is my strong suit. I, I obviously uh, look into analytics and I trust the numbers um, and use them in my analysis, but. Um, uh, watching the twins go up there and absolutely explode <laughs> my mind. Yeah, they just hammered us. Yeah, uh, I understood about the first two slides. Yeah, and, uh, and then it was totally uh, over my head. But but it's interesting to to be able to go to those places and and meet and talk to those people um, and just kind of get a better idea of, of who they are as a person and mm. it kind of helps understand their analysis a little bit more. Um, so. Yeah, that's a great part about it too. Yeah, and I mean, I, I always talk about like like you know when we talked about uh, past analytics conference. This is the first one I went to that wasn't in Rochester. I went to I went to Rochester the last three years, um, and this is the first one I went that wasn't that. And the thing I always think is awesome, like it was a little bit different this year uh, or at, at Columbus because at Rochester social time starts on Friday night and it starts like at five o'clock, you know, as opposed to this, like it had to be after the game. Um, and during the game, like the bar was like reasonable, it was manageable. And then once the game was over, uh, <laughs> uh you yeah. know, it was just chaos. Like it took, I think 10 minutes for or, like 10 or 15 minutes for people to be able to like close their tab, like find people, you know, <laughs> Hey, take my money. I'm trying to pay my bill. Um, and then, you know, the next night uh, they had the game, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, it, was, it was great. I got to sit with, with Jay and uh, Megan Hall was there uh, and we sat together and that was a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, like I think the Rochester socializing was a little bit easier just because it wasn't so crowded. And it was, it was really easy to kind of talk to people uh, like three years ago when I went, that was the first time I, I met like Scott Cullen. And I remember just being like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> you know, cause you know, cause it's like, we, we kind of see these people on TV and stuff. And it's like, you know, you think, Oh my God, like they're going to be, 
so above me. And then you sit mm-hmm. down and talk to them, and they're like the nicest people in the world. Like I'm, I'm sure not everybody is super nice, but everybody I've ever talked to at these things is very approachable and very fun. Um, and it's great. Like for people, you know, for people who are interested and you want to kind of make contacts, this is great for that too because it's really mm-hmm. easy to like. That's that's the first uh, the first time I met Corey Pronman. Uh, you know, and I talked to him. He came on the podcast. You know, it's a lot easier to kind of talk to people in person and ask them to do it. Um, yeah. So it was. I, I had a great time. I had a really a really good time. Um, it's it's nice getting to see everybody again. And the the, the thing I find now is I try to make a balance and this is really hard. Part of me wants to just hang out with the people I already know, you know, cause it's like, Oh cool. I get to see Micah again. I haven't seen him in a year or whatever. Um, but then also I'm like, I never knew like Megan Hall. I, you know, I think of as one of my really good friends in the, you know, in hockey analytics and, you know, we met each other at the conference uh, in Rochester three years ago uh, or two years ago, maybe. And if I hadn't just talked to, you know, went up and talked to somebody I didn't know, we wouldn't have that friendship, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, it's, it's like trying to find the balance between talking to the people I know and then trying to make new friends and new contacts and stuff like that. But it was, yeah, it was fantastic. It was, it I was just really wanted to, Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Katarina Wu. Yeah, uh, that's the, that's the yes. uh, the talk I was talking about. Which yeah. league is best? Using paired comparison models to estimate hockey league strength and project player performance. So that is the one. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And w- when you're talking about the twins talk, um, like like that's how I feel when Micah presents. Uh, and actually, there's somebody who didn't present at this conference, but he's presented at Rochester a couple times. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Very nice guy, but he is like he has forgotten more about math than I will ever know. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's the same thing. It's like the first couple slides. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm following you. And then I'm like, what is that? Like, I don't know what those. I don't what letter. Like, what do those letters mean? Um, yeah. But one thing I like too is when I see these presentations, like it kind of makes me want to learn more. Um, you know, coming out of the conference, I got a, a book on, uh, it was like how to learn Bayesian statistics, the fun and easy way. <laughs> and I will say like, it's a fantastic book. It is actually fun and easy. Uh, they use really great, like they use like star Wars references. They use like, you know, it's not just like, uh, um, you know, hey, if this car has a four cylinder or two cylinder, you know, it's like actual like real world examples that are that are helpful and fun. Um, and I, I learned a lot just because I was like, oh, I, I kind of feel I should know more about this. Um, and it actually was relatively easy. Um, once you get to the end, it's kind of tough. But, uh, you know, most of it, I was like, oh, I understand what they're talking about now. Like when, uh, you know, when when the twins and Micah have a discussion about using like a prior in their model. Now I know what that means. I don't understand it as well as they do, but I, I, I know what they're talking about. I actually get the concept. Um, yeah. So let me start off like this. So we have the draft coming up. So you guys are used to having people ask you questions, right? So I'll, I'm going to go Will first, and then we can go Dylan, and then we'll just kind of go from there. For each of you, what is like what is a question that people don't typically ask you that you think they should? Hmm. Uh. That's interesting because in my work, I face, you know, I live stream on YouTube now twice a week. So I get a lot of questions. And recently there have been people, especially ones who have been there a while, asking some really, really good questions. And yes, I'm kind of stalling to figure out a a good one. Um, But a lot of people who, you know, I think people, there's a lot of things that I think people focus too much on. 
um, you know, I think people think about, uh, you know, what what skill is projectable, most or least projectable? What is this? Or, you know, and and it's very sort of like one thing I think people not willingly do a lot with questions like that is really pigeonhole exactly what it is that, that we're trying to do. And I think people, you know, one thing that I keep telling people is that, in my opinion, there's no one perfect way to play hockey. There's a lot of different ways that you can be effective as a player. And when people are looking at someone like, I'm going to pull one, a, a video I've already made out of my hat, where someone like Anton Lindell, you know, people are starting to, to bump him further and further down their, their lists because, you know, yeah, you can look at tape of him and he, and he might not be the fanciest looking skater on the planet, not the most skilled guy on the planet. Um, and people might look at that and go, well, when he hits the NHL, how will he keep up? Blah, 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 blah. But you, you watch a lot of NHL games, and not everyone is going 100 miles an hour around the ice constantly. It's really, really nice to have that as an asset. But the way that I kind of view players isn't necessarily, you know, through that lens. It's more about what is it that they're doing and how, you know, how effective are they when they do that. So someone like Anton Lindell can stick around the middle of the ice more. Uh, you know, he's not as bad or I guess I should say as slow of a skater as people seem to think he is. He's just a big dude who really mo who can really motor. Uh, it just doesn't also show up a ton, but at the end of the day, like there's, there's very different uh, like styles of play. And it's not just the EA sports, like this guy's a sniper, <laughs> this guy's this, this guy's this kind of thinking. It's like different players have different attributes. And I think that a lot of young players, uh, when you're drafting them, they might be really, really good players on the surface, but then when they're applied in the NHL, there can be a lot, you have to be really careful with how you're deploying them, who you're deploying them with in order to make them effective. Because if they spend two seasons ineffective, but still trying to drive play, then, then you can, you know, you can see how that player might get frustrated with their career and think that, you know, get in their own head and all that. So I think understanding more about, you know, how effective a player is within their role or what they're doing on the ice and how someone maybe not with the mobility, like you look at Jean-Luc Foodie, for example, who's like one of the more gifted skaters, pure skaters out there, you know, but there's many, many downsides to how he plays right now. And you look at him versus Anton Lindell, you could, if you were just a layman, maybe make the case of going, well, I like the guy who moves around the ice better. It's like, but, but that doesn't mean that I would take one in front of the other. You have to sort of dissect the individual cases and, and figure out more about how to, push play in different ways i think is what i think people might want to look at more i guess one of the questions that i have been wondering about that hasn't maybe has started to come up but um might need to be asked a little bit more is where is quinton byfield going to play uh after he's drafted um because usually with with top picks like that um especially in a draft like this where you have players um, like Alexi Lafreniere um, who will probably make the jump or will make the jump to the NHL in his first season. Um, a player like Quinton Byfield, with his potential, um, there was talk of him, and even I was on that bandwagon at the beginning of the season, of him going first overall um, and him having that level of uh, ability. Um, and I think the distance between Alexi Lafreniere and Quinton Byfield um, isn't isn't that great. Um, Lafreniere has shown himself to be the number one pick for this draft, but with Byfield's tools um, and his potential and everything that he brings, um, 
he could go to the NHL next year. I'm just, I'm starting to question whether that's good for him or not. Um, seeing him at the World Juniors on that level, um, seeing him not get the minutes that he's used to, um, and having to go out cold um, wasn't very good for his game, and that's what cooled a lot of people mm. um, on on Byfield's overall abilities. Um, and I think it's a really interesting thing to look at to say you've got a kid who, in my opinion, could be in uh, a third line role at least in, in the NHL next year. Like he he has those, those he has the size he has the speed. He thinks the game so well, and he has the the, the skill. Um, but is an NHL coach going to give him the opportunities to succeed at the NHL level if he doesn't necessarily trust that Byfield will rise to the occasion, let's say, um, in like a one-goal game? Hmm. Um, so at the beginning of the season, I would have said that Byfield should be in the NHL next year. Um, and I still think his skill puts him there. Um, I'm just, I'm worried about how his utilization at the NHL level um, in, in, you know, six months. Mm. Uh, should we have an NHL season in six months? Yeah. yeah. So that, I think that's the question that, that I'm not hearing enough about the NHL draft is after Alexi Lafreniere, um, there's a few players here that, that could make the jump. Um, Byfield, potentially Rossi, he's done in the OHL next year. Uh, he's likely going over to Europe. Um, but if he, depending on who he gets selected by um, and, and how he uh, does at, uh, at the potential NHL camps <laughs> August, September, um, he could make the jump. He could very well make the jump too. Um, so, uh, yeah, my, my biggest question from this draft um, would be, is Byfield going to play in the NHL next year or are we going to see him take another year in the OHL which I mean if I'm watching the OHL I really want to see Byfield absolutely tear it up especially uh, for uh, the the fans up in Sudbury right can I follow up on that yeah oh of course yeah so so my I am I totally get what you're saying and and I've and frankly like I agree based on what I've seen and tracked of Byfield for sure Um, but like for example looking at how he's playing this year, could you uh, could you think that Alexi Lafreniere could have been in the NHL this season? He like as a role player, say a third line guy, like you said for Byfield, right? Like maybe. I would, for for Lafreniere. So I think this is the difference between the two. I see Lafreniere have that uh, killer instinct and the physicality. But yes. I think that NHL coaches um, want to see in a player. And right. not that Byfield doesn't. Um, I just, I've, I've seen um, on Twitter a bunch of people comparing Byfield to a, a, a Malkin type. Um, and while he has the size and skill of a Malkin type, I just don't see the, um, the bite to his game. Um, he sure. can get, he can lay lay a hit, but he often doesn't. His hit he utilizes the skating far more. Whereas yeah. when Lafreniere is engaged in the game, he will go out, not go out of his way, but he will make he will make contact to separate a player from the puck. Yep. And I think that 
that is the is the biggest difference between the two of them and what would have put if Lafreniere had been you know a little bit older mm-hmm. um, that that would have put him in the NHL potentially this year so so that being said like cuz last year a year ago now we were looking at Alexi Lafreniere at the World Juniors and a lot of the same things were being said about him yeah. that that Byfield that people were saying about Byfield now and considering they're almost a year apart That's that point, you know it's man. it's 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 looking like you know the thing about Byfield that everyone you know seems to be you know like usually I'm not nitpicky about age in mm-hmm. terms of that but when there's that big of a gap between number 1 and 2 I think it's perfectly fair to say you know you it's a, it's a matter of risk management right like you know what you're getting in Lafreniere he's been that for a while you know, you know, you like you said, he has a lot of those projectable things that I think NHL coaches are going to want to see. Like, you need to be physical in the NHL if you want to be an extremely talented two-way player like he is. You know, especially if you're not going to blast up the ice at 100 miles an hour. Like, he 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 could maybe do that from time to time, but he's not. That's not his game. Yeah. Um. So you know, the the other example that popped into my head based on how Byfield sort of plays and and what you know his profile is. Like someone like Austin Matthews was two days away from being eligible in 2015. And instead, you know, and he put up insanely good numbers with the U.S. development program the year before he was eligible. Uh, He went to the World Juniors and was like, okay, I think Hmm. seeing it now, he had three points in five games of that tournament, crushed the U18. And, you know, could he have been in the NHL the year he went to Switzerland? You could maybe make the argument that, you know, if Jack Hughes made the jump, putting up crazy numbers in the USHL, than maybe Austin Matthews could have, mm-hmm. but the, you know there was that extra year of development. So I'm not I'm not saying it's like a bad thing, but I think I think it's important to keep in mind that you know Quinton Byfield is extremely young. You know there's definitely things that he could work on for sure, and I think mm-hmm. you know that's the case with most players that are drafted. You know yeah. no one's going to be immediately a superstar right away, uh, right. especially now that the league is so good. Yeah. So. It's again, like I think what we're kind of going around here is like context, you know, like keeping things in in mind, you know, like Quentin Byfield. I don't think he even played in that gold medal game. I think they benched him the whole game. Yeah, I don't. So yeah, he he had like almost no minutes. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to think about, and I do definitely think that if you want him to become more of a physical two-way guy, I don't know if I would argue that. I, you know, maybe. You know, I think about him, and yeah, I've I know I've said in the past that there might be a bit of a Malkin style player there eventually, like at the end yeah. of the day. But again, on the other side of it, it's like you know Austin Matthews is one of the best goal scorers in the NHL right now. But if you think of Byfield as maybe not as much of a goal scorer with more of that sort of playmaking to him, you know Austin Matthews can make a pass. But I've seen Quinton Byfield, based on what I've tracked of him, he's to me just as much of a playmaker as he is a scorer he's got a really Mm. good shot but he's trying to make a lot of things happen in the offensive zone too so Mm. you know he but he does have that size and that speed and that skill that someone like an austin matthews kind of has so you know an extra year of development for that kind of an age might not be the worst thing especially Mm. if what you're expecting out of him is i'm going to plug you in on the third line and you need to be a physical player in order to hold your job because i think that kind of undersells what his best talents are um but yeah I, i see what you mean like it's it's going to be curious to see what happens, especially considering whenever the season starts up again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I I think there's like uh, some definite uh, you know Red Wings uh, uh, players that that kind of fit into the uh, you know like what you guys were talking about. Um, 
for example, um, actually, uh, Will, what you were talking about at the end with, you know, Byfield not just being a scorer, like, you know, he's also a playmaker. Um, you know, when, when we drafted Philip Sedina, uh, you know, for a lot of casual observers or like, you know, even somebody like me who does try to read up on things, who does talk to, you know, people like you who, who, who know a lot more than I do. I think like the the kind of the mistake that I kind of learned last year is not to just like give these guys like a one line bio. You know, it's like, oh, Philip Sedina, he's he's a sniper, you know, mm-hmm. because Philip Sedina is an incredible playmaker. Um, like he is known more for scoring. And I think he is going to develop into the player who is going to be a goal scorer. But he also has really good. Uh, playmaking skills like he has really good vision he has the ability to to make that pass uh you know make make those tough passes you know those kind of cross cross seam passes uh you know for one timers etc but then he also has the ability to be on the other end and then rip a one timer past the goalie um and so i think you know going into that draft i kind of had just a one-dimensional view of him uh and then the other player i was thinking of that kind of ties in obviously not as good a player as as byfield um, you know, not the same pedigree, but, you know, when the Red Wings had Michael Rasmussen, you know, he was in a very interesting situation because basically with the style of play that he had, there really seemed no point in sending him back to juniors. Like there didn't really seem to be any point. And so he stayed up with Detroit and cause he couldn't go to the AHL and, um, as so, you know, that was the year I did the year long playoff or not playoff, a uh, power play series. And he really, number one, he was very good on the power play in the beginning at the NHL level. Like he was noticeably impactful. But then he got to play with Thomas Vanek, who, you know, obviously a 5v5 is not very good anymore. He, you know, he, he's a liability, but he is yes. an incredible power play still. You know, he's incredible. Um, he, he would make passes that most players wouldn't even think about. And he would make, you know, he would complete the pass. And so getting to play with him, getting to kind of have that experience, you know, by the end of the year, you know, Rasmussen looked like a guy who could be at the time, you know, a pretty decent third line center, uh, you know, definitely needs some more time to develop into like an everyday NHL third or maybe even maybe second line, probably third line center. But then he's also going to be your number one power play guy. He's going to be like your power play weapon. Um, and then this year he played in the AHL, you know, because he was able to in a perfect world. He would have played in the AHL two years ago mm-hmm. as well, but that wasn't an option. Um, and so I know for a lot of fans that can be really frustrating. Um because it's like you have this guy that you draft, especially when it's a, when it's a top pick, you know, a, you know, top three, top four. You have this player. You're really excited to see him. You know that the NHL might not be the best place for him in year one, but then it also sucks that you can't even see him in the AHL for most of the people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think that's interesting. As as you guys were talking, I pulled up. Um, Obviously, both of you uh, have, you know, a lot of resources for fans. You know, Will, you have your Patreon. Uh, you have a ton of good stuff on there. Like you said, you live stream twice a week on YouTube. You have lots and lots of really good stuff. Um, and Dylan, obviously, with future considerations, um, every year they put out or you guys put out, you know, the the ranking uh, packet. I buy it every year. And what I thought would be interesting is I went back and I looked because la- like you always have at the end, you have like next year's 
projected rankings with, of course, the caveat that you're a year out. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because I'm looking at – I'm not going to do the whole list, but I'm going to read the top ten because it's, it's really interesting to me to see how many of these players are still in this group even though they've kind of shuffled a little bit. So you have uh, you know, Lafreniere and uh, Byfield one and two. Then you have Lucas Raymond, Anton Lindell, who Will, Will was talking about before, uh, Alex Holtz, Tim Stutzel, no, uh, Noel uh, Zagunier. Gundler. Oh, Gundler. Oh, it Gundler, looked like yeah. an eye on my screen, yeah. Uh, Cole, right. <laughs> Cole Perfetti, Justin Barron. And then at 10, you have Jamie Drysdale. Um, so I'm, I, I'm actually – okay, I, I'm interested in this. I'm, I'm going to ask this in a different way. Um, last night uh, when we were recording the WIM Radio podcast, which uh, for our listeners is the latest one. It should have came out a couple days ago as you're listening to this now. And one of the things we talked about is like a potential draft format. Um, and our, our good friend, uh, our good uh, Winging and Motown uh, writer, Sarah, had what I think is by far the best way to do it. Actually, she had two, two different ways. Um, one of them was that everybody, uh, like the GMs have the draft, but they have it in secret, right? It's like a secret draft. <laughs> and then they mail the jersey to the player, and then the, uh, and then and then the player is is recorded opening up the box and seeing what jersey is inside, and their parents are there. And I was like, no, that would be fantastic. Obviously, it'll never. There's a lot of you know. Like uh, David on Sportsnet during the yeah. water. Yeah, and, and, and like 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 uh, like JJ said that, uh, or maybe JJ or Kyle said, um, Toronto would mail a jersey to everybody, uh, <laughs> but um, and fans would you know find out where they live and it would be it would be chaos. Uh, but the other one that I thought was really fun was they would have like you know the top you know, the top 30 picks or the top 31 picks. And they would be in like a room, like standing six feet apart, of course. And then the GM would go into the room and like select them like bachelor style. Uh, and then she said, and Steve Eiserman will call somebody who's not in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a roundabout way of, of, of wondering what you guys think. Um, let's say hypothetically, um, the Red Wings draft fourth, right? Which right now, assuming they do the lottery the same way, is the most statistically likely outcome. It's a just over 50% chance that the Red Wings will draft fourth. Um, who, or I mean, not just one person, like what do you see Iserman doing? Or what do you see the Red Wings doing? Uh, knowing that he, he, he has the potential of picking somebody who is not the consensus choice at that part, to put it mildly. I mean, based on history from last season with another German prospect, prospect hmm. uh, Tim Stutzel, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, hmm. um, is right there. Um, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you have one, one thing that I think is undervalued, and, and they, you wouldn't do this this high in the, in the draft, and you might do this more through free agency, is kind of surround um, players from certain countries with other players from, from that country. Sure. And it just happens to work out that there's a German player this mm-hmm. high in the draft, um, kind of a couple of years in a row for them. Yeah. So that could be one option. Um, you mentioned his name already, but Jamie Drysdale um, is is an option, honestly, for me in, in, that, in that four spot. Um, I am extremely high on Jamie Drysdale, though. So that might be... Uh, a little bias from me there. Um, I think that his ability to move the puck, he's incredibly poised with the puck. 
He's incredibly offensive. He's exactly what you're looking for in a modern-day NHL um, back or rear guard. I, I hesitate calling him a defender um, because <laughs> he, he doesn't really fit that description. He's not a tall, um, you know, hard-hitting, demanding, uh, stay-at-home defenseman at all. He is he's a puck mover. He's very offensive, and he's gifted uh, with his feet, his hands, and his brain. So I think that both of those options in that spot um, are there, but Eiserman uh, has been known to, um, you know, trick us all into thinking yeah. he's going to do one thing and <laughs> do something completely off the board and have it work out for him. So, sure, I I uh, I get the feeling that at the whoever gets the third pick, you know, like I'm I like Jamie Drysdale quite a lot, but I'm not that high on him relative to the other guys available. But I feel like in that three slot, you know, it's pretty hard to convince me that Jamie Drysdale is probably a better pick at two than Byfield. But I'm never one to underestimate a team's willingness to just take the defenseman because there's only the one this year. So it leads me to believe that even at the two slot, teams might look at Quentin Byfield at the World Junior and look at Quentin Byfield in his own end and go, you know, maybe we just take the defenseman who shows more and blah, 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 blah because he's a defenseman. And if it's, say, Ottawa at two and three, then maybe they just take Byfield and Drysdale, take the best defenseman, take Byfield and call it a day. Yeah. Hard to argue with that. But if he's there at four, you know, you could make that argument. I don't think, you know, I think Moritz Sider is a very good prospect Oops, uh, to fill out the sort of top four, you know, in your, in your future. Hmm. I don't know about top pair two-way minutes-eating guy, but, like, he can eat minutes decently well and I think he can move pucks pretty well and he's very physical and good defensively so that's good a good asset to have but I still think they they kind of lack that that real dynamo defensively so I could totally see that happening they have drafted a lot of defensemen and I yeah. think though I, I also think though that there are some very valuable defensemen that you could pick up later in this year's draft that are maybe a more unconventional choice but I think you know they went with Antichuomisto last year Albert hmm. Johannesson uh, there's a few of them where you could maybe think outside the box later on and, and pitch a different idea. If it's me and I'm talking to Steve Eisenman about this, I and I'm at four and guys like Stutzler are available. I mean, they've one thing I kind of like doing is looking at who they've picked recently and the programs in which that they'd be most familiar. So they drafted a guy like Elmer Soderblom last year, who I wasn't particularly, you know, this year he's a six foot eight center who has skill and just dominated the under 20 level. I mean, he's just one of those guys who just got it and figured it out and mm. can dominate at that level. And I'm still not totally sold on what his upside is, but at least they think that I feel like they have a good sixth round pick there that they can bet on. And the other guy that plays in that program that's eligible in this range is Lucas Raymond. Mm. So I, I bet that there's a lot of conversations going on between, you know, the coaches with Frolunda, you know, Steve Eisenman and his management staff, like there's a relationship there that might, lead them to, if they have a choice between Stutzla and Raymond, maybe leans them towards Raymond. But at the same time, they've got Moritz Sider, who came from the same program as Tim Stutzla. Yeah. So yeah. you could see how they might look at this and go, well, there's two options here. You know, yeah, there's also Jamie Drysdale. So that's the defenseman that we could also pick up. Um, so I could see one of those three being the guys that, that, that might be there for them. 
it depends on who goes at three as well. Yeah. I feel like one of those three guys will be going there. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- in my opinion, any one of those three players are, are a really good pickup for, for the Red Wings. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a pitch um, for uh, it. Actually, it was funny. Cause like, I, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get to say somebody they haven't said. And then will <laughs> you had to say it. So sorry, Lucas, uh, Lucas Raymond for one, one reason. And this is kind of one of those things where, um, I always wonder how much like coaches or or GMs, uh, you know, value or you know, this 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 idea. I don't know if you've looked at the Red Wings roster lately, but if you look down the column that says shoot, you see almost entirely L. They have almost no right shot forwards, and that is a very big deal in my opinion on the power play, because if you watch like Tampa. Um, and it's been a little while. I'm trying to remember exactly how they set up. You have Stamkos in one circle and you have Kucherov in the other circle, right? They're on their off wing and they can each obviously rip a one timer. And so basically if you're at the point or if you're in the middle, you know, you're in the slot, you have two one time opportunities, you know, and when you watch a team do penalty killing against Detroit, they are able to shade to one side because Detroit only has one one timer because they don't have a right shot on the left boards. And I kind of wonder, like, now, granted, the draft is not the only way you can obtain a player. You know, you could see Steve Eiserman make a trade for a right shot forward. But it's just really interesting to me that you have a player, um, you know, in Lucas Raymond that has all these other really good abilities. And then he's also happens to be a right shot forward, which is something that they really, really need. Um, So... Obviously, I don't know as much as you guys, but I am going to for right now. That's going to be my convention. That's why I'm going to say they they pick. Um, as a fan, I think I would be pretty much happy with anybody, yeah. you know, at that slot. I mean, like there's so many good options this year. It seems like, um, and I'm really interested to see. Obviously, as somebody who who knows that the most statistically likely outcome is that Detroit doesn't pick first or second. Um, if we have another case where, you know, in the last few years, you've had Pedersen go at five, right? You had Makar at four. Um, you know, it's often not always the top pick that is the best player, even sometimes when they're like, oh, this is, you know, like, it seems like this year, like Lafreniere is kind of way more highly uh, thought about than like he sure was, or, you know, Nolan Patrick, obviously, you know, they, you know, they were kind of going back and forth, Um you know, it kind of seems like Lafreniere is more like obviously not the Connor McDavid level, but kind of more closer to that, like almost like that can't miss prospect as opposed to, yeah, this year this guy's the best, but he's not going to save your team. You know, he's not going to like, you know, he's not a Crosby. He's not a Malkin. He, I know, no, I know Malkin didn't go first. He's not Ovechkin. He's not, you know, he's no McDavid. Level, sorry, um, I was going to say he's an elite level player yeah. who is not necessarily generational. Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens there. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> I think the, uh, and actually I talked to you guys for an article I wrote. Um, you know, I learned a lot of lessons last year. <laughs> um, first of all is never, never write an article when you're angry. Uh, second, <laughs> second is, um, it's not a really good idea to have a snap judgment about the drafting of an 18 year old. Yes. <laughs> um, because we've seen how often that looks very bad in hindsight. So I've, I've learned my lesson going forward. Um, 
but yeah, that was uh, that was definitely an interesting, <laughs> interesting draft yeah. last year. Um, yeah. So 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 I, I know our our listeners really like hearing about um, players that you know maybe players that are you know potential draft picks that aren't talked about all the time. You know, like like we we've pretty much been talking about the players that you know get a lot of the press. You know, they're 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 pretty much. I don't want to say consensus, but you know, it's kind of like the top 10 roughly. So what are some players that you guys have identified um, or like, you know, you think, Hey, this, this guy could be a steal in the second round or that, you know, if this guy drops out of the first round, any team in the second round should like be running up to take him or even later in the draft. Like, you know, what are some of these players that you, you think are going to be a lot better value than where you think they're going to go? I'll go first. All right. Yeah. Okay. Me. Uh, there's uh, the thing that's interesting about this year's draft to me is that, in my opinion, there there's like just an enormous amount of possible answers to that. There, there like I watch a lot of hockey from around the world, and I try my best to you know use tracked data and the videos that I'm pulling to try to find where say someone playing in the Finnish junior league might sit relative to Canadian juniors or you know, the German men's league guys or whatever. Um, and, and it ends up on what I have in front of me that my sort of ranking list that I have is quite different from the usual because there's a lot of players who play really, really well in sort of hard-to-watch leagues that I think could translate really well to the NHL. And, and then the one that sticks out the most when I'm looking at my list here is a guy who actually, I'm putting a video out on him in 10 minutes, uh, but... Uh, He's a he's a Russian kid, Marat Kuznudinov, who every single time I've seen him play, and it you know, outside of the World Junior A Championship and last year's under eighteen, where he was pretty good in that tournament as well for for the Russians, this year he played almost the full season only in the MHL with the SKA St. Petersburg's junior team, and you know his first half he was playing sort of third line center minutes and flew under the radar. I think he had thirteen points in his first twenty five games, which you know. Players in the MHL, like Grigory Denisenko, have been drafted with production like that in the first round. Um, but then since Christmas, he's been over a point per game. They're playing him top six minutes, more time on the power play. Uh, and when you look at his play at even strength, you know, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the, some of the stuff that he's doing. Yeah, the Russian Junior League, certainly there's some, you know, teams that are much better than others. Um, but I had to sort of take a look. And he's a guy to me that, you know, I've seen him ranked in the second round. And I... I look at other players in this, in this range and in the late first even and go, you know what, you know, he's, he's this quick agile center who can back check effectively for check intelligently make a play in the neutral zone of all of the, I have 70 players that I've tracked data on so far this year. And per 60 minutes of five on five between forwards and defensemen, he's the only one who makes more than a hundred pass attempts per 60 minutes. So that, and that like the second is something like 90. So he's well over 10% more in terms of being utilized as a, almost like a quarterback on the ice. And he's completing something like 80% of his passes. Um, you know, and the thing that also really impresses me is how much potential there is. So a lot of people ask about projectability. Mm. You know, I see him doing a lot of things on the ice where I'm going, he's this close, you know, to putting the puck in the net. He's had some goals that are, if they were in the OHL, they'd be on highlight reels for weeks. And, you know, just an unbelievable sort of profile to work with to me. And if that's a guy you can get in the second round in my, in like the Red Wings have three second round picks. And I get the feeling that, you know, if you do your homework, you could just bang out a bunch of picks, especially if you look at Europeans, 
you know, um, there, there's a lot of them that I think are undervalued, you know, but, but Murat Kuznodinov is the one that sticks out absolutely the most to me. Yeah, like Will was saying, this draft is one of those drafts where they're just, I see a lot of value uh, through, you know, second, third, fourth round even. Um, yeah. There's there's players here that could really turn into something and I think are a little bit underrated. I, I mean, um, a guy like Evan Beerling um, at the start of the season really struggled um left flint uh headed home to barry um and and lost a little lost a few games this season and he kind of fell under the radar basically partly because of his his play in flint it, it wasn't great to start the season he was kind of you know gripping the stick a little tight um but i watched him in barry a few times uh after uh after he uh got traded and um i watched him against quentin byfield uh and uh, the Sudbury wolves and his tenaciousness through the neutral zone on the defensive side of the puck was absolutely wild. Um, you know, just catching eyes with scouts when he would break up a play and just get so super aggressive on some, you know, really high-skilled players, um, you know, poke-checking and then turning over the puck, creating odd man rushes with passes, uh, creating odd man rushes through his own skating and transition ability. Um, that's a guy that went from probably, you know, high second round in the in the 40s um to because of the issues that he had um at the start of the season and and um you know going home to Barry and taking some games off um he's he's fallen in the draft I would say so probably in that 70s range um so around the third uh the third uh rounds um but I think there's a lot of value in a player like that who just shows so much compete on the puck um, and then follows it up with skill. Um, some other players in that similar range, uh, Dr. Brango from Kitchener, uh, really, really mobile defenseman. Um, I was really impressed with his ability to transition to play. Um, some other guys. Uh, one guy that is a, a, an overager for this draft, um, also from Flint, uh, Yevgeny Otsentyuk. He played in Belarus, oh, yeah. I believe, uh, last yep. year. And... Um, this kid is just full of He's, full of talent. So can make some highlight reel plays and goals, and um, just you know, got a really good motor on him. Um, and then, he moon, he, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but he no, moonwalked. Yeah, he moonwalked after a lacrosse goal. Yes, ah. which was yes, so incredible. Just uh, the best. Is, is there is there a video of that? Oh yeah, it's okay. Around. Yeah, one of you send it to me, and I'll put it in the article. Uh, I'll, I'll pay. I'll, I'll you know embed it into the article. So people can watch it. I mean, I want to watch it. Uh, um, all right. So we're going to wrap up in just a second. Um, just just because, you know, I mean, uh, honestly, I could talk for another hour with you guys. But, um, you know, usually like two hour podcasts uh, probably don't have a high listen rate unless unless it's like something like we were talking about before with like Critical Role does like four hour episodes <laughs> and like people watch them. I think I saw this crazy stat where they said if you watched, I think it it might've even just been the first campaign for critical role. Uh, then you have watched more than the entire Simpsons catalog uh, in history. Gosh. That's scary. Cause it, you know, if you think about it, every episode is four hours or something and there's like 120 episodes or something like that. I don't know how people have time to watch. Oh, well, I guess maybe now people have more time, but so maybe people are catching up, but, um, 
just because again, I I know I know what our listeners are interested in uh, from you know reading what they write you know in comments and stuff. So, assuming. Uh, you know, just 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 to make it easy, assuming that the lottery goes the exact order that it is right now, you know, just, you know, standard finish, uh, you know, you don't have teams jumping up and down, which we know is going to happen. But just hypothetically, where does Askarov go? Oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and I know this is a question you probably, you know, get asked all the time, but I know I know that this is one that our listeners are definitely interested in. <sighs> I mean, this is good. This is to me. This is a long answer. It's hard because I think I think okay. you have to evaluate. Like I last year, I was pretty clear. I I'm the coolest on putting goalies in the first round that you'll ever find. It's I just don't trust it. I don't think it's always the best option. But when you have you know outside of when you have guys with incredible track records both internationally and with their clubs, uh, you know. Askarov is playing against men. He's one of, I think, two players ever who have played multiple games in that VHL, the Russian Second Division League, uh, and be a draft-eligible goaltender. So he's playing at a level that that almost nobody has ever done before on a consistent basis with a very good team. And to me, I mean, we say it all the time, teams without goaltending get everyone else fired. It's it, it if you don't have a goaltender who can stop a puck, yeah, everyone gets fired all the time. You know, <laughs> look at what's happening in San Jose. Yeah. What you know, you could name all the teams out there. Look at LA. Uh, all of these teams with without real solid goaltending are struggling. And you know, you have a chance in Askarov to land a guy that is about as close as you're going to get to a sure bet of a number one goaltender you can have for, for over a decade. And if, you know, yes, goalies are risky, but the only thing that he has not absolutely been outstanding in is the world juniors. And that was, I think three games. And to me, I've seen him play at the club level. I've seen him play at the under 18s last year where he was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, you know, and, he, and, it, and it isn't like he's playing like Jonathan Quick or Tim Thomas. He's out there playing technically, catching cross-ice passes like it's nothing. And I think that he should be gone in the top 10. I think that considering his pedigree, there's a lot of teams in that range. I mean, the, the, the Devils might have two top 10 picks this year. The Ottawa Senators might have two top, will have two mm. top 10 picks. And the Ottawa Senators don't yeah. have that, this is our goalie. Or the, the New Jersey Devils don't have a... You know, they have Mackenzie Blackwood, but having a goaltending tandem for the next decade of Blackwood Askarov with, say, Marco Rossi on your team and Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer or Jamie Drysdale or whatever, that to me, even if you, you know, you traded Taylor Hall, who wasn't doing anything, and you got that pick for basically a guy that wasn't going to stay. So you can take a risk on that pick to me. And if Askarov ends up being a backup or whatever, that kind of sucks. But if it works out, you know, a lot of guys in that range might not reach their ceilings. So if it works out, though, and I think that if you're going to make a bet, he's the guy, then a franchise goaltender can keep other people's jobs for a long time. And, you know, they're worth their weight in gold. Usually I'm more of an advocate of draft a bunch of goalies later on and, and try to see what you can do or maybe trade skill for goaltending or whatever. But I, I think that top 10 somewhere and there's a lot of teams in there that i think could really use that that top goaltending you know pedigree that that they might not have right now yeah i mean we saw spencer knight go what 
13th, 12th yeah. overall um, a few years ago. And I think that uh, he was on, he was on an incredibly good team. Um, and he, and he is a, he is a good goalie. Um, I think Askarov is, is a higher level goalie than Spencer Knight. Yep. Um, and I think that he belongs in that top 10 range. I'm not sure he will get picked in that top 10 range, uh, simply because the wealth of, uh, forwards and, uh, and Jamie Drysdale basically, um, in, in that top 10, um, plus the, let's call it the quote unquote Russian factor. Um, where teams either don't cover Russia nearly enough slash any other European leagues. They, they don't cover it quite as well as obviously they do uh, the OHL, CHL um, teams. So he could fall for that reason a little bit. Um, and then there's, all, there's also the um, World Junior. Um, I guess I would say he didn't have the, the most stellar World Junior appearances, um, and sometimes you see players uh, fall as part of that because that's where a lot of teams get their cross-checking done, um, and that's that might be where uh, you know some of the top uh, North American scouts would see some of the top European talent, um, and so he could see some issues there. But I agree with Will; he belongs in that in that top ten, and you really do you do need goalies. I mean, let's look at the New York Rangers right now with Igor Shosturkin. Uh, and uh, Georgiev, um, they've got three goalies, uh, three European goalies who are all options right now. Shostjorkin, I think, is I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, is looking like a future uh, starter. Georgiev is giving them an option to uh, have a high-end backup or at least trade for um, some some high-end assets. So, if you have that that funnel of um, goalies who end up turning into something, um, I think that not only would it, would it provide you a player to um, help you win, because as Will said, a goalie is significant in helping you win these days, um, but you also have a high-end asset that other teams are dying to get their hands on. Um, so picking Askarov in the top 10 um, is... I, I, could, I don't know if I could see it happening, but I think he, that's where he belongs. Yeah, I mean, I look at I look at somewhere like, you know, teams that have drafted a lot. You know, I look at the LA Kings, for example, and Jonathan Quick is seemingly on his last legs. You know, they are not afraid to go for sort of the riskier picks that are valuable. And I mean, at fourth overall, whoops, uh, I think at fourth overall, it's it's a it's a hot. You'd pass on a lot of talent, but. When you look at what the Kings have already in the system, already ready, basically very close to getting ready to go, none of it is necessarily on the same level as, say, a, a Lucas Raymond right now. I mean, Alex Turcotte just signed, so that's good. They've got guys like Akil Thomas. They've got guys like Rasmus Kapari. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting more. You know, but in terms of offensive firepower, I think that someone like the Kings already has drafted enough where if it was pitched at the table, it's like, look, fourth overall, the LA Kings kind of don't have that a plus level goaltending prospect and you know to me i mean i agree with dylan like there's a perfectly reasonable chance that askarov doesn't go in the top 10 because teams are spooked or or whatever but i think at the same time teams are you know it's going to be very interesting we're seeing a very huge late push here for guys like jake sanderson to get drafted really high um you know we're seeing all kinds of things you know undulating that might completely change how we think this is going to go 
So I would perfectly understand if Askarov went 14th or 15th, but I would also completely understand if someone like the Kings jumped in there and said, look, we've got a lot already coming. There's already way, like a ton there. This whole season was bizarre. Jonathan Quick isn't getting any younger. So, you know, and it's Cal Peterson, our guy. Yeah. You know, we just traded Jack Campbell. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe you hold your nose with Jonathan Quick for another season or two and see what happens. Maybe you end up with another high pick next year. I don't know. But taking Askarov there for the might be something where I wouldn't be surprised because of what they've done so far. So, again, it comes down to a lot of context where yeah. it depends on each individual team's situation. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I am... I am not very high on taking a goalie early. Um, There are very good uh, instances of that working. Obviously, uh, Roberto Luongo, right? Um, Interestingly enough, you have uh, one NHL franchise showing both the positive and negative aspects of taking a goalie that early. Um, Because somewhere I own, let me see. uh, Hold on. Oh, here it is. I'll show you guys. A Kari Uh, Lettman figurine? Our our listeners... (laughs) Our listeners will not be able to see this, but um, oh you guys can see. That's not a... This is a Roberto Luongo Islanders oh signed puck. That's... Because for people that don't remember the timeline, the Islanders drafted Le- Roberto Luongo and then traded him and drafted Rick DiPietro first overall. Um, now, I think you could make an argument that the Rick DiPietro career could have played out a lot differently. Um, he had some really bad injuries uh, that I think derailed him. Like, for example, if I remember correctly, it's been a while. Um, actually, at the, at the All-Star game, he really hurt himself uh, in, like, the breakaway yep. challenge, I think. And I th- if I remember correctly, like, like he kind of wasn't the same after that. Um, of course, he decided to challenge uh, – oh, who was it? It was one of the Pittsburgh goalies to a fight and got his face broken. Um, and I, I do think that in, a, in an alternate world, Rick DiPietro could have been – a very, very good NHL goalie. Like, you know, he could have had a great career. Obviously, it didn't work out. Um, But I do think, kind of like what both of you guys said, I think he will go in the top 10. And the reason why is is actually what you guys said. Number one, there's a couple teams that are going to have two top 10 picks, the Senators and the Devils, neither of which has a long-term number one goalie. Um, and also, just I, I, I'm glad you will. You said it because I was thinking this too. A team like LA that already has, like, like, can afford to take a year off from drafting a forward or defenseman at you know in the first round and not have it hurt them because of their depth. Uh, so I realize I'm kind of just like repeating <laughs> what you guys said, but but basically, like that that's what I was thinking going in, which makes me feel really good uh, because you guys know a lot about this, and it always makes me feel good when people that. Um, I really look up to for knowledge on this stuff, think something similar to what I think. (laughs) So um, we're going to wrap up there. Uh, Before we go, I want to make sure that um, uh, I promote your guys' stuff, right? So um, obviously, like we said, Dylan works for Future Considerations, right? You can find them on Twitter. You just type that in. Uh, He's also uh, with his first and last name and an underscore. So Dylan Galloway underscore. Um, You know, as usual, you do a Twitter search, you'll find it. And then uh, Will is on Twitter at Scouching. Um, And if you go on there, you can find a link to his Patreon, to his YouTube and all that stuff. Um, I I am not on Twitter anymore, uh, but... 
when I was, these guys were both excellent follows. Um, so they're really nice guys. Like I said, it was awesome to get to meet both of you in person in uh, Columbus. So hopefully it won't be too much longer before we get to meet again uh, in person. But this was a nice, this is a nice fast meal of that. You know, this is a nice uh, uh, alternate uh, version of that. Because, uh, you know, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is just how hard it is to kind of stay in a normal frame of mind when you don't get to see you know, everybody all the time. Um, and this was a lot of fun for me. I hope you guys had a lot of fun too. Um, Absolutely. So thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Always great. Yeah. Welcome back. Well, once again, we thank our guests for talking about the one thing that I feel like I could honestly try better at, and I apologize. The draft is honestly a sticking point for me because while I'm excited to be in a position to get a good player, wouldn't be seeing that player for probably two, <laughs> probably two or three years. So it's like you get this excitement thing, and then you're like, all right, wake me up when they're on, on the big club. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. But um, So uh, as, uh, we wanted to wrap up our episode here with uh, – a little bit of, uh, you know, what what's going on, checking in, what we're doing that's hockey-related. Um, Pete, I wanted to start us off uh, with saying puzzles. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, recently, there was a, um, um, a, a popular pop culture movie website uh, known as Mondo Shop uh, from the famed Mondo uh, group uh, affiliated with the Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, they recently started producing puzzles, and for Christmas last year, I bought my wife uh, three of them. One is a, uh, a Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock. One of them is a Captain Marvel uh, Statue of Liberty piece, and then a um, basically kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe 10-year in-toto type uh, poster, you know, with Infinity War, Age of Ultron, First Avengers and stuff, so... Uh, they are fantastic puzzles. Uh, it took us a billion years to to finish the Captain Marvel one because sadly there's a lot of just dark blue slash black and all the pieces are <laughs> kind of exactly the same. You know the two nubs and then the two holes. So um, it was a little. It, it took a little bit to get there, but uh, thankfully the other puzzles that we bought have lots of texture and lots of color. So the next uh, couple we'll do we're going to be a little bit speedier. Um, did also buy. And, and I, you know, I, I can't wait to get the check from Disney for pumping these up. But uh, they're these Disney <laughs> villains puzzles. It's basically uh, imagine a like a Victorian wall of portraits and pictures and stuff. And it's just like awesome anime, uh, like animation drawings from different Disney movies. So I have the Aladdin one, which heavily features Jafar. We have the uh, uh, Captain Hook which is uh, mm -hmm. for Peter Pan. And then we are currently working on the Robin Hood one, which has uh, poor Richard, um, the, 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 the bastard king. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's great stuff. I, I tried to not be, like, overly excited about them because I used to love doing puzzles a bunch, but now with all this time, it's just, you know, I'm... I think we're all just a little bit like Burgess Meredith from the Twilight Zone. You know, time enough at last. Yeah. 
Uh, at least I have my at least I have my books. Yeah. And then every time I say that, I have to make sure that my glasses are securely positioned <laughs> and on my face, and I don't look down no! quickly. So. Um, <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah. So, so that's what I got going on. What do you got going on? Well, I, I got a bunch of stuff. So um, I guess I'll kind of do like a little scattershot uh, thing. Um, on the video game front, there's a couple things keeping me occupied. I, um, uh, I, I kind of forgot, which is weird because I've been so excited about it. I kind of forgot that Final Fantasy VII Remake was coming out so soon, um, even though I literally bought a PlayStation 4 just so I could play it. Uh, because from what I understand, like the Xbox version isn't coming out for a year or so or whatever. Um, now, of course, yep. we're going to find out that they're releasing it tomorrow. and I, <laughs> But um, uh, I, I kind of lost track of time and forgot that that was happening. So I decided to start another playthrough of Skyrim, uh, which... As anybody who has played it knows, is like a hundred-hour commitment if you do it right. Uh, you know, hundred plus. Um, and this time, I did a uh, for the first time. I played it through probably three times. Um, and for the first time, I did something that was uh, really cool. It was an alternate start mod. Uh, so basically, um, for this version. Because uh, unfortunately, the PS4 doesn't have as good mods as Xbox. Um, but for this version, uh, or this alternate start mod, basically you start off. Uh, you don't start off in the cart. You know the the uh, the, the very memed cart. Uh, you start off um, in this like alternate place that the person created, and you decide where you want to start. So I started um, at the College of Winterhold. Um, and so the first thing I did before I even knew anything about dragons, uh, my character is I started that quest line, the, uh, the, the college quest line, which is pretty cool. Um, it was definitely a little bit, uh, a little bit of getting used to because normally by the time you get to that part of the map, you are much higher level than, I don't know, level one. Uh, <laughs> so that was a little yep. tough. Um, but yep. I was able to, I was able to adjust, um, and for those of you who played, I am now basically doing that quest line. I'm doing the Dark Brotherhood quest line uh, because they are also spread out on the map. And I haven't been to so much of the map uh, that it's like I'm not going to spend an hour, you know, walking to one part of the map. Uh, I'm just going to do other little quest here. So it's going really well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but now I have Final Fantasy VII, so I'm probably going to stop playing Skyrim and go start playing that. Um, I'm really excited for that. That's definitely one of my favorite games of all time, the first uh, Final Fantasy VII. So that's going to be really cool. Um, a couple other things that I've been doing... Um, one thing I know, and, and I, I feel bad because I know that this makes Jay a little bit jealous, and I feel bad, but you know, I didn't, I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> my friend, uh, you know, I've been looking <laughs> into this last thing for a while because it looks really cool. There's a lot of people that I really like. There's a lot of these courses that I would really want to take, especially now because we have the extra time. Um, they are doing a promotion where if you buy one subscription, you get to get one to a friend, and one of my friends from school. Uh, bought a subscription and she gifted me the gift one. So for a year, so I basically have a year for free. Um, I will say, I honestly think it's probably worth the money. I think it's like $180 for the year, but it, it's unlimited. You get to take any of them. Like, you know, it's not just like one of these courses, like you can take all of them. Um, so, uh, I, I loaded up my list. Uh, I started doing the David Lynch one, which is 
amazing. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to talk to, I was talking to my friend about it, the one that gifted it to me, and I, I was trying to figure out like how to explain it, where it's really cool, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know how usable some of this stuff is going to be because I'm not David Lynch. You know, he's like. He's like, you know, it's like it's like you're you're fishing <laughs> yeah. in a stream and there's all these ideas there and you just have to sit there with your pole and let the ideas come to you. And eventually one of them bites your hook and you pick it up and you have this idea. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know if I'm going to have the idea that creates Blue Velvet or Twin Peaks or, you know what I mean? Um, at the same time, like it is really, <laughs> even if it's not useful at all, and I'm, o- I'm only on like the second one, even if it's not useful at all, it's still fascinating to hear him speak, you know, hear him talk about his process and stuttera. Um, but I'm really excited for like, the, there's a Neil Gaiman one. Um, there's a bunch of cooking ones. I like to cook. Uh, there's like Thomas Keller is cooking and like, you know, Gordon Ramsay has a lot of online videos, but um, I'm still probably going to watch his because, you know, he has a lot of cool stuff. Um, I used to like probably a decade ago, I used to love playing poker. Um, and two of the people that I really used to like watching have courses on there. You have Daniel Negreanu and uh, Phil Ivey. And so even though like I don't think I'm going to, you know, start up playing poker to the same level, like I was pretty obsessed for like a couple years. I don't think I'm going to get back into it like that, but it's still really cool. Like I watched a couple of their lessons and it's really neat to hear kind of like their thought process. And I think the thing that's cool is even if you're not going to be using the information uh, for that purpose, like, you know, I'm not going to go to Las Vegas and play in the World Series of Poker, but I think a lot of the stuff is like can be applicable to other things, too. You know, like the way they analyze problems, the way that they problem solve and that they come up with solutions. Like, I think that that can be applicable to other things, too. Um but yeah, I'm a hundred percent psyched for the Neil Gaiman one. I think if I had to choose one, I think it probably would be the Neil Gaiman one. Um, but we'll have to see. So that's been a ton of fun. Um, and then the last thing is, um, I don't want to get into it too much because I might, you know, uh, I don't want to geek out too much on it, but you know, last year or so, I really started to get into playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, mostly in person. Uh, but, uh, even before this started, I was, uh, I started to DM a group online, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and now obviously with the game store being closed, of course, uh, we had to move our other stuff online. Uh, so a couple times a week I'm hopping on for three hours and getting to talk to people I really like and, you know, kind of disappear into a world that is not ours, you know, where I don't have to worry about, you know, being able to pay bills. I don't have to worry about people I care about getting sick. You know, I don't have to worry about that stuff um, for a couple hours, you know, for a night. And that's really, it's really, really good. So, um, oh, and, and actually the last thing is I was, I was talking to Jay about this before is I started doing like a week, hopefully weekly, like a Cards Against Humanity night online because it's really easy to play for free online with a bunch of friends. And that's a lot of fun. And I mean, it doesn't have to be that. It could be anything. Like, I really do think there's a lot of value right now in setting aside, I mean, probably more than one night or week with the, with the time that most of us have. Um, but, you know, a, a couple nights a week to interact with people, you know, to talk to people face to face, you know, obviously over the Internet. But still, it's a little bit better to, you know, see their faces. Um for our listeners, we recorded an episode of Wim Radio last night that's going to, you know, when this post, it'll already be out. And just getting to see 
JJ and Sarah and Kyle, you know, getting to see them laugh and getting to see them, you know, just getting to see faces like it was it was so nice. And it was, you know, such a breath of fresh air. Um, And it was great. And I mean, you know, not to be corny, but I mean, I'm thoroughly enjoying recording this right now. Um, As am I. So I yeah, I mean, I think it's really I think it's really cool. Um, So, Jay, do you have anything else to add? Uh oh! I uh, I, I beat the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series on MLB The Show. 20, so, um, feel pretty good about that. A lot of a lot of good cathartic revenge for 2006. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, you know, we, we Pete. I I know we're in most contact, but I just wanted to say out loud that you know it's it's. It is a tough time, but I extremely appreciate being able to talk to you and do this podcast in this uh, crazy, uh, strange, uh, ultimately frustrating, but, uh, you know, a good step forward to make sure, you know, everybody's healthy and everybody can stay sane. So, you know, we're, I recently saw a, uh, you know, there's a, uh, there's a commercial on, uh, on our air right now. You know, here, here we don't stop in the name of fear. We stop in the name of love. So, you know, there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of good energy that's that's being generated by uh, everybody pulling together and stuff. And um, you know, I, I I appreciate that you and I can continue this journey uh, through the lack of hockey. There's obviously still things to talk about, but you know, um, this is an, a fun thing to look forward to, and I look forward to recording it every time. But Maybe maybe more so now in this in this era where I can't leave my house. So, um, you know, again, yeah. kudos to you for uh, you know st- sticking with my madness <laughs> and, uh, and and the craziness <laughs> that is um, the thought process behind our our favorite game. So, uh. <laughs> and um, real quick before we wrap up, I had one more thing I wanted to recommend to people. Um, and I know, I know, like the, the the segment wasn't really like recommendations, but I guess it kind of could be. Um, one thing I wanted to recommend to people: if you are the type of people who like cooking shows, um, either cooking competition or just cooking shows in general, like you like watching, you know, really good, talented chefs make a meal, um, there is a fantastic uh, cooking show that just ended, uh, I think, last week. Um, and I imagine they're going to have a ton of reruns of it. It is, um, uh, what's it called? Tournament of Champions. I believe it's on the Food Network. I'm almost positive. Um, if not, it's on the Cooking Channel, but I'm 99% sure it's the Food Network. And um, it is hosted by Guy Fieri, who is one of those people that is is very, very interesting to me because – so many people kind of put him down just because of like his style, et cetera. Um, but then once you start to learn more about him and you learn about like the humanitarian work that he does and you know how like he seems to be a genuinely good person who uses his, his kind of platform to help out as many people as possible. And so because of that, I really like him. Um, so he's the host and you can tell like he really likes doing it, but it's a really cool idea. And Jay, you'll like this based on what you said last episode about what we should do for the playoffs. It is a March madness style bracket where you have um, eight chefs from the East and eight chefs from the West 
and they are seeded based on their background, like their accomplishments. Uh, you know, a lot of them are Michelin, you know, they, they worked in Michelin star restaurants or they own, you know, they, they created their own restaurant that, you know, earned at least one Michelin star. Um, also, like how they do in cooking competitions and stuff. For example, uh, one of them is... Um, uh, Alex Gornicelli, right? Who is who won Iron Chef, right? You know, yeah. so I mean, like these are like real, you know, these, you know, it, it's not like you watch a cooking show and it's like, you know, this guy is, you know, he's opened his restaurant in Toledo for one year and it got good reviews, you know, like like these are all top top notch chefs and um, they are, you know, so they're they're seated and they battle, you know, so one versus eight, two versus seven, etc. Um, but the cool thing is. Uh, there's a couple of really, really cool aspects to it. Number one, the judging is completely blind. Um, so th- the judges don't know who made each dish and they don't even know who's competing. Um, so that's really cool because obviously it takes out the kind of, oh, this was made by this person. It must be really good. You know, it takes that out of it. Um, and then the other thing that I think is interesting is they have this uh, this randomizer. So it's like this uh, – I think it's like five different things. So one of them is like the protein. One of them is like another thing. One of them is like the style preparation um, and how much time they have. And then I think one of them – oh, yeah. One of them is like some type of cooking utensil they have to use, right? So like a waffle iron or a panini press or, you know, like Ooh. a KitchenAid or something yeah. like that. And so everything is random. So like Guy Fieri goes up and he spins the wheels right in front of him and then – they have their time starts then, you know, so they can't plan ahead. They don't know what's coming. Um, some of the ones are insane where it's like the craziest ingredients together. And you're like, how the hell are they going to do this? And then they, they, they put <laughs> out this meal that like, I am just like, my, my mouth is watering. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, I would eat that tonight. I would pay so much money to eat that in a restaurant. Um, and they Ooh. made it in like 30 minutes. So seek it out. It's really, really good. Um, the chefs are awesome. And the thing I really love about it is you can tell, like, I mean, they all want to win, but they all genuinely respect each other. You know, it's not like, oh, that guy's a jerk or I hate that person. Like, they're all like, you know, I really like that person, but I want to win, you know, so it has like the level of competition, <laughs> but it's not like, you know, some of those competition shows where people are jerks and people are mean. Like, it's not like that. It's very positive. It's very friendly, um, but it's also really, really good. Very high level. So if you like cooking, definitely check that out. It's really fun. I I hope they do. And I know I will. Yeah. And so that brings <laughs> us to the end of our episode. Uh, so as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can follow Jay on Twitter at the roar underscore 24. Uh, you can follow our podcast on Twitter at 200 foot pod two zero zero FTPOD. I said this at the end of the interview section, but I'll say it again because it's important. Uh, you can, f- you can follow our guests today. Um, Will is at scouching S C O U C H I N G. And you can find Dylan Galloway at Dylan Galloway underscore. Um, so, uh, they are both excellent follows. Um, and lastly, if you want to buy some for sure merchandise, uh, say, for example, if your relatively new dog has destroyed your for sure pillow and you need to buy a replacement, um, that hits a little close to home for me. But if you want to do that, too, then you can go to tinyurl.com slash 
for shirt, F-E-R-S-H-I-R-T. Um, and we also have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash for sure pod, F-E-R-S-U-R-E-P-O-D. Uh, so thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to you uh, in a couple of weeks with a new episode. For sure. 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 For sure.